in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's Jesus' good news to us in John 16.33. As we face this new day and all it has for us, we find courage and hope in the only trustworthy words available. Tell the adventurers, explore. The Bible. <laughs> oh, still working on that intro, it's so good. So we've listened to Colossians 3 together. There's so much good stuff packed into this chapter. Um, so Jennifer, go ahead and start us off. What stood out for you? Um, being a follower, this is the very last line of Colossians 3, and it's Jesus. No, whoa, 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 whoa. Being a follower, being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. Hold on, Jen. How are you doing today? I'm struggling today. What's going on? I'm tired. My eyes are dry. You told me you feel like you uh, slept a certain way. How I feel was like that? I slept with my eyes open. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it makes it tough to, to yeah. read, the, read the Bible and say the things out loud. Yeah. Fair enough. And that's it okay. It's tough to function today. And God still loves us. We're still, you are God's holy and dearly loved child, and He is pleased with you. And even when what you are doing is something that He cannot accept, He still loves you. And that's who we are. So we have our emotions, we have our good days and our bad days. Some days we're tired. It's okay. So we're still going to talk about this, but there's no pressure. We don't need to rush through it or try to force anything. All right. So go ahead and. You want me to read that last verse? I can do it. Okay. I can do this. <laughs> Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. So I'm thinking of a situation um, where I knew some ladies who claimed to be devout followers of Christ. That was their claim, that was their persona, that's what they put out to the world, that's what they would like everyone to believe. And I knew these ladies, I thought, well, I thought we were close. And a situation happened, um, and it was very tumultuous. And I texted these ladies and said, can I meet with you to pray? And that's big for me because this is not how I've functioned in my life until just the last few years. So for me to ask two women, no matter how well I know them, to pray with me is just way out of my comfort zone. But I knew that was the thing to do. And when I asked them to pray with me, I was one responded with, I don't know if, uh, I don't know when or if that will ever happen. And the other one said she would pray with me. And then when it came time, she slammed the door in my face. And I was just so hurt. I felt betrayed. I felt hurt. I was sad. I was angry. Angry that they claimed to be something and they weren't behaving like. I understand definitely that 
we're all loved in spite of what we do. Um, but we're also called to behave in a particular way. And that, that was not it. Um, when somebody in need calls you to pray with them. If you're able, it's important to. It's important to do that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, just a relationship destroyer, uh, you know, I really, this has happened months and months ago and I'm still just so heartbroken over it. Um, cause I would say that these were probably my two most trusted Christian women. Wow. And so I'm, I'm working through grieving that loss, the loss of who I thought they were or how I thought they should behave, mm -hmm. the loss of the relationship, um, the loss of just my ideas about um, what should have happened. So, yeah. That's heartbreaking. Besides, you had to go through that. It is really painful when people who claim they're Christians hurt us. Mm -hmm. It's even harder to forgive them or give them leniency and grace because when you tell someone you're a Christian, the expectation is that you are going to live up to a higher standard. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like B needs to go outside. Okay. So, will you um, read the first section, verses 1 and 2, fairly slowly while I get him outside, yes. and then I will meet back here with you. Yes. Duty calls. Literally. Okay, so Colossians 3 starts off with a heading that says, He is your life. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. As you were telling me your story, Something I appreciate about how Paul writes is he'll, he'll keep a theme going. And the way we've broken it into chapters, the start of this chapter and the end of this chapter really hold up together, especially with the story that you've just said. If in this situation it sounds like these people, these women who you hoped would be able to help you and pray with you and that you would get to have a community with, it sounds like they had their eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of them. They weren't looking up to Christ. They weren't looking up to see beyond what physically was happening into mentally, emotionally, spiritually, what is going on in this situation. Um, and that, once again, it's heartbreaking and it does destroy relationships. Um, it is an excellent example of when people sin, the destruction happens to the relationship. 
when we break God's heart, when we do things that are hurtful to God, we destroy our relationship with him. And it's not because he doesn't want to have relationship with us. You still want to have relationship with those women. But what they've done has broken trust, has broken faith, has destroyed any hope you have that you can pray with them or have a good relationship. Is that all accurate? Yes. And that is heartbreaking. And that is why we're called to see things from Christ's perspective, not get so caught up in whatever's going on right in front of us in this world. I think it's easy as a, let's just say younger Christian, not age-wise, but younger in maturity and It could have derailed my faith altogether. Wow. It was that powerful. But but I wasn't looking to the ground. I wasn't looking to just write this moment. Um, looking to the long haul for being a Christian, not just the circumstances that I'm in right this second. How did you have the strength to do that? Um, is that your habit? Is no. that how you naturally interact no. with the world? No, not at all. <laughs> in your former life. In my former life, I would have, I would have called them out. I would, well, I would have, I wouldn't have ever asked them to pray. Sure. I would have just been angry and taken it out on them. Ooh, okay. In passive aggressive manners and actual aggressive and physical oh, aggression and... um probably not physical aggression these women were older than me and so probably not physical aggression um but definitely with my words mm. i would have i would have ripped them a new one each one of them individually probably gotten them together and done it again like just <laughs> let them have it wow so it would have been an emotional oh yeah violence and I would have just been in that emotion at the time. Um, I think that I'll, I, I know that I was raised in a situation where emotions ruled. So if you, if you as the parent had an emotion, you got to say whatever you wanted. As the kid, that wasn't true. But as the parent, it was. And so, um, you know, in response to that, as I got older in my, in my early adult, earlier adulthood, I would just, it's like I couldn't hold it back. It was this flood of emotions and words and anger. And I, like, I was the queen of confrontation. Um, and so now that's so tempered, so tempered by my faith. I, I really, I'm a whole different person. Wow. That is quite the endorsement. I'm a whole different person. Um, I think I definitely attribute that to my faith for sure. Um, and I was going with that. <laughs> That's okay. 
that's a good spot to feeling a little overwhelmed with emotion right now feeling like I want to cry so okay we'll take a moment if you need you're grieving a loss and it is a big loss and it is painful it is and those waves of grief don't stop the first time that you accept that the situation happened mm -hmm. those waves of grief can come back because especially if you haven't found a new community or other God has not yet blessed you with new people to take that place in your life because possibly he's waiting for you to let him take that place in your life which I have struggled with my entire life uh, I didn't have a dad growing up and I heard all of these pastors and preachers talking about how God is your father and so that concept was just so weird to me that meant that God was going to act like my earthly father he was going to be there when he wanted, but most of the time he wasn't going to be around. Um, so it was easy for me to get to a point where I said, God basically doesn't exist, or if he does, he doesn't care enough about me to actually be with me. And that's not true. That's me flipping things around. The goal as an earthly father is to keep your eyes so focused on Christ and see who God is and be in relationship with God the way Christ was that you are able to occasionally at least do better than <laughs> your earthly desires would have you do and so for me to flip that around and pretend that God was going to interact with me the way my earthly father did um that misses out on a lot of who God really is. And it sets me up for failure in trying to relate to God, which is heartbreaking. Yeah. So, well, I left the outside. Now it's starting to sprinkle. I'm going to need to go get him. No problem. Um, I wanted to give you some, some big props. Um, You've talked a lot about how you grew up learning the habit of not treating people differently because of their station in life. Yes. And um, in verses 9 through 11, um, it says, it's probably verse 11, all the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insider and outsider, uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free mean nothing. From now on, everyone... Is defined by Christ everyone is included in Christ and I know being included is very important to you too mm -hmm. growing up Catholic you felt like there wasn't the kind of inclusion that you hoped for um, I'll make this quick little point slave and free in the Bible is what for us today would mean there's no difference between the person who's just working the job the person who's a manager the person who's the CEO everyone is still God's holy and dearly loved child who he is pleased with. And just because certain people are responsible for more or less doesn't make them more or less valuable. So you talk a little bit about that while I go get BP King back in here. So <clears throat> one principle that um, my parents taught me that was has been so valuable in my life and I, I'm really grateful for this is that okay. from... A very young age, they taught me that no one is above or below me. We are all human. We are all people. And so 
I was valued as a child as much as I was as an adult. Um, and it also set me up to, although, don't get me wrong, I have respect for the title of CEO, I also realized that that person puts their pants on just like me and is fallible just like me. And so, um, because of this principle that my parents taught me, um, I was able to understand that we all sin, all of us. It just looks different. Some people sin out in the open. Some people sin behind closed doors. Some people tell a little white lie. Some people steal money. We all sin. And so nobody is infallible except for Christ. And I'm not him and I don't, I don't see him in the flesh. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this inclusion thing is, um, it's important to me. Um, there were priests that I had over the years that were much more inclusive than others. Some, uh, as I remember being in my early twenties and there was a priest that, um, invited, um, people from the neighboring churches, uh, all Christian, but different denominations. And I remember just being so thrilled by that because I thought that was just amazing because in my view, Jesus was inclusive. He didn't go to a town and say, Oh, you're not in the right group. That's not the right, that you're doing it wrong. No. Um, but I also had priests that were very, you know, we are the, we are the original church as Catholics and this church on this street, this street and this street are calling themselves Catholic and they're not really Catholic. So don't go there. Um, and again, that's not indicative of the Catholic church as a whole that what that told me was that that was indicative of that priest's beliefs as a human, as a man, as a person. Um, and we're all fallible. So there's a great moment in Christopher Nolan's Batman series. His first movie is Batman Begins. We love Batman. <laughs> and it's this moment where young Bruce Wayne is on the train with his, his parents and he asks his dad why his dad isn't running Wayne Enterprises. And the dad says, I've left it to better men. And young Bruce is so hurt by that statement. No one's better than my dad, right? That's what all kids want to believe. And he says, better? And his dad responds with, maybe more interested. And it's a great moment because we're going to have to deal with the fact that every human being is God's holy and dearly loved child who he is pleased with. So then we have this struggle with, then why are there people who get to be CEO while I have to work, you know, the lowest job and get paid the smallest salary? Well, there's stewardship and levels of responsibility. And one of the ideas in the Bible, and it seems to play out pretty evidently in how the world works is 
When you show that you can be responsible for a little bit, you get more to be responsible for. But if you're not capable of being responsible for a little bit, then you don't get more. You probably have that little bit taken away or it gets lost. You don't actually take care of it. Um, Jesus tells a parable about the master with the three servants, and he gives each servant a different amount of money. And the servant who starts with the smallest amount of money buries it in the dirt. The servant who's given the most amount of money uses it to create business and create more income. So when the master comes back, the servant who had the most money goes, I've tripled your, your, what you gave me. And the, the one who has the smallest amount goes, I got scared and my fear caused me to bury it in the ground. And it's this story that as Americans, we struggle with because the master's answer is give what you have to the guy who had the most and has done the most with it, has shown that he's responsible and takes care of these things, and you get nothing. You don't get to be responsible for money anymore because you cannot handle it. And that hurts us. And the best part is we still have to deal with how does that, what you're responsible for, what you're capable of stewarding, um, how much God can bless you with because you're willing to take care of it, go along with this idea and this understanding that we are all God's holy and dearly loved child. We are all included in Christ, defined by Christ, but that doesn't mean we're going to get the same amount of things to be responsible for. And of course, during this season, Jen and I are talking about inner vows and one of the things that I struggle with is I got hurt at a very young age because I tried to be, my mom asked me to do something, I tried to do it, I felt so good, I was responsible for it. It's my dishwasher story. She asked me to put the dishes away in the dishwasher so they could get washed. I did it the best way I knew how. She didn't show me how to do it. How old were you? I was probably five. Did it the best way I knew how was so proud of myself, just so happy because I had done the best I could. And I wasn't quite finished doing the job and she hip checked me and pushed me out of the way and said, just get out of here. And I was devastated. I was so hurt and heartbroken. And she rearranged everything that I had done so it was the way she wanted it to be. And I, I made a vow then and there that I would never put my best work out there. I would never try that hard or be very proud of the work that I do. I would never work, I would never give my full self that I'm actually proud of. Pardon me, I'm choking up a little bit because of this story. I would never give my very best because when I do, I'm going to get hurt. And so I'm going to control my suffering by not giving my very best. And so now I claim that I'm a minimalist. I just don't want to have a lot of stuff because I'm not going to be able to take care of it. And it's not bad to, to a degree, be minimalistic. If you are, if you have a bunch of, my grandma was a hoarder. So if you have all this stuff and it's just clogging up your house and getting in the way, 
that's a problem. But if you're not accept on the other side, if you're not accepting all the blessings God has for you, because you don't want to be responsible for them, that's just the other, that's the ditch on the other side of the road. And in between these two ditches, the hoarding and the minimalism, is being responsible enough to get on your horse and travel down the road. Get in your car and travel down the road. Be responsible for things. So I have this inner vow, and I've got to give up this idea that if I do my best, I'm just, I'm only going to get hurt. Because it's possible that God has more responsibility available for me. <coughs> if I'll be, it's okay, B. Yeah, there's someone outside. It's okay. Good boy. If I'm willing to be a good steward, I'm going to hold my hands open and receive whatever God has for as long as he gives it to me. And then I'll let it, I'll let it go when he moves it on to someone else so that they get blessed by it. But <laughs> if I try to control it, then this is a, a Star Wars idea. Princess Leia says, the more solar systems you try to clasp into your hand, the more slip through your fingers. And when I try to control something by closing my fist, I don't have the ability to receive all the other things God wants to give me. So in this season of recognizing inner vows, here's another one that I'm going to have to release to God. And it's so difficult and it's gonna take time. Yes, my love. Do you have any other examples of how that played how that's played out for you? Sure. Um when we were living in Ventura, I had this idea that I wanted to start doing triathlon. And one of our neighbors had done triathlons. He was willing to help me, all of this good stuff. And I have plenty of excuses for what I did. Uh, you know, I got this great bike and I would have panic attacks when I try to go take a ride because I am a disabled veteran. I do have PTSD. Can you check our... Uh, sure. Um our cast so that we can check in with chat when the time comes. Oh, and it is time to do that. So, um, I am a disabled veteran. I do have PTSD. And so panic attacks are part of my life. It's something that I do have to deal with. It's okay. We're good. Just leave it to keep it up and there so we can see it. We're dealing with some technical issues about our Twitch stream. Um, and how we're able to interact with chat. We definitely want to interact with you in our chat. So come be part of our Twitch stream and chat with us about these ideas. Anyway, so I have this bike. I have panic attacks when I try to ride it. Um, it's not creating the community that I hoped I would get. And so I stopped riding it and we live right by the ocean. So there was a point where, um, there was a point where it, the chains had rusted. It was a mess. So I just gave it up. I donated it. I didn't even try to sell it or anything like that. I just donated it. And it was because I didn't want to be responsible for this, this thing that I wasn't taking care of. And I felt so hurt by the fact that it was rusty and not being maintained that I decided it was better to just get it as far away from me as possible instead of stewarding it well, figuring out how to fix it up, even if I was only fixing it up so I could sell it. 
Um, so that's a more recent one, but it's throughout my entire life. And I, I struggle because we're travelers. And when you travel, you kind of have to pack light. The more stuff you're carrying, the harder it is to travel from place to place. Hmm. Go ahead. So do you think you've modeled your nomadic life around this vow? You know, I think that takes some judgment and wisdom that I don't have yet because my three-year-old is coming out right now to say my whole life we would move at the end of the school year we'd move somewhere and at the beginning of the next school year we'd move somewhere else and that was pretty much my entire my entire childhood until I was probably about 12 years old. That's a lot of moves. That's a lot of moves. And so I get really uncomfortable if I stay in one place. There's also vow. My other vow is I'm never going to get divorced, which plays into I'm going to control when my relationships end. And so if it's feeling uncomfortable, I'm just going to end the relationship instead of going through the discomfort that allows me to get a deeper relationship with someone. So you couple those two together, as soon as someone makes me uncomfortable, I'll pack my bag and move on down the road. And it's not helpful. There's nothing wrong with living the nomad life. There's nothing wrong with no. enjoying traveling, being a full-time RVer. It's a great life, or it can be a great life. But there's also, for me, underlying issues that stop me from having community and then I feel alone and then I the cycle is and I cycle pun fully intended I buy a bicycle to try to become part of a community of people and when I don't get to be a part of that community fast enough I throw the bicycle away and tell myself I don't need people and then it starts back at the top where I start feeling lonely and now I'm going to find something else that's going to magically cure my loneliness that's difficult it is i definitely give you props for recognizing that cycle and being willing to examine yourself thank you that's not easy thank you so that's something i'm praying for we're praying about um paul has put up a prayer that says, give us wisdom and tune our spirits to your will, God. And so that's one of our prayers right now as we are going through the challenge of letting go of our inner vows. Our prayer and our prayer for you as well is tune our spirits to your will, God, and give us wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to accept reality, to grieve all the losses of what we hoped life would be and accept reality and make decisions based on reality instead of our romantic ideas. Yeah. I wanted to jump into um, verses 12 through 14, and you're in the hairstyle industry, which mm -hmm. means you're very close to the fashion industry, <laughs> Yes. and you've worked with fashion models and done photo shoots and worked with photographers who are in that industry and all kinds of things. Yes. And I love this, verses 12 through 14. If you haven't had a chance, 
Um, feel free to go to a Bible app and listen to the Bible. Many of them have um, audio versions that you can listen to. So if you get a chance, listen to Colossians 3, and particularly verses 12 through 14 stand out right now. Um, it's talking about getting a whole new wardrobe. Woohoo! Exciting stuff! And yet it's the wardrobe God picked out. So it's not going to be new physical clothes. Instead, it's compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, which is gentleness, discipline. Be even-tempered and content with second place. Whoa, that's a tough one. I might be a little competitive, so. <laughs> and quick to forgive. And forgive as quickly and completely as the Master forgave you. Oh, and that's a tough one, especially with some of the stories we've been telling today. Mm -hmm. Forgiveness does not... Does forgiveness mean that the relationship just gets to start back up? No, not at all. In fact, sometimes the relationship never reconnects. Um, but forgiveness is the acceptance that this has happened and that my hopes and dreams for that relationship are what they are. So you're grieving the loss of your hopes and dreams. Yes. And um, separating what the person has done from who they are in Christ. And then the process, if a relationship is going to recover or, or actually be reborn, mm -hmm. because it's dead now, sin has killed it. Sin has killed the relationship. And so now if there's going to be a resurrection and the relationship is going to come back, God has the power to do that, but he also shows us how to do that. And there's a process. When the person comes back, you don't just let them back into your life. So what have you thought about how your if you if they want these people wanted to come back into your life and be started relationship with you? What would they have to do? Do you have you thought about any of your boundaries with that or anything like that? Or is the hurt still too much? There's quite a bit of hurt there, but some things that I know would need to happen is they would have to, they would need to apologize, accept okay. their part in what happened, um, admit uh, that what they did was wrong and ask for forgiveness. That's a great starting point, and if any of you have been following us long or listening long, you know that one of the things that we practice, and it is practice because we're not good at it, it's not what we naturally do, but the words we use are, I'm sorry, what I did was wrong, will you forgive me? And that's a starting point to rebuild trust and relationship. Um, the next part, as far as God's concerned, is repentance, and do you know what repentance is? Repentance is... Um, changing what you're doing. Right. So it's often called a 180 or turning around. You're heading in a certain direction. Your actions are taking you in that direction. And the goal is to turn around, stop doing those things that are taking you in that direction. And now to have a relationship, you're going to need to walk all the way back from as far away as you've gotten. And so 
that's a process of rebuilding trust and it means it's going to take time. You don't just jump back into the relationship. You don't tell those people your deep secrets and, and let them be part of your close inner circle. We've talked about kind of a target and in the bullseye is the people who are closest to you, your closest friends. They're the ones you actually trust with your, your deepest emotions and your deepest ideas, all of who you really are. And then it flows from out, it flows out from there to people who you're acquainted to and then people who you don't even know. And when we sin against God, we move from in the bullseye where God wants us to be all the way out to people who he doesn't know. And it's not because he wants that. It's because we've decided we don't want God. We don't want to do things God's way. We're going to do it our way. And so we're running as far away from God as we can by the things that we're doing. And the process of coming back is, is a slow, steady process of rebuilding trust. And depending on what the situation was, it could take months. It could take years. Um, I don't know how long it takes. How long would it take for you to meet a stranger and then go through the process of getting to the point where you trust them with your deepest secrets. And maybe they don't want to, maybe the person doesn't want to get that close to you. And that's mm -hmm. something we have to accept as well. You know, um, we say we want to be close to God, but we only want to be as close as we are still comfortable with getting away with the things that we want to do. So the bullseye is right where God is and we start moving towards God and then we hit that place where he tells us some of the things that <clears throat> we need to stop doing if we're going to be in a relationship with him and we get stuck out here in you know out here on the side of the target going eh, I don't I'm not willing to do those things and then we wonder why we don't have a good relationship with God or with other people. Well, I do what I want. <laughs> That's okay. the immature way. Um, and in Colossians 3, I dare you to go look, to go listen to it and see if you can hear the place where Paul says, people do what they want. Um, also here at the, near the end of the chapter, when we get to about verse 19, there's something here that's, that's important to understand. Paul is writing to an entire church. But in verse 19, he says, Husbands, which means he expects this, this sentence to only go to the husbands. So everyone else, close your ears, la 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 la, plug your ears, all that good stuff, earmuffs. This isn't for you, kids. Husbands, do this. And then the next sentence is, wives, is that right? Oh, wives he first. starts with the wife. Oh, excuse me. In verse 18, he starts, ladies first. I, my bad. Ladies first. So in 18, he says, wives. And what's the problem that we have? The husbands hear, hey, wives, here's something for you to do. And their ears perk up. Ooh, I get to hold my wife accountable. Yeah. So excited. So excited, but we're listening to the wrong sentence. 
And we're so excited that we get to hold our wives accountable that we don't listen to. Hey, husbands, here's what you need to do. La, 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 didn't hear that one. I heard that my wife is supposed to treat me this way, and I'm going to hold her accountable to treating me this way. My love language of the five love languages is this. And if she doesn't do it for me, then eh, eh, eh. <laughs> And why am I acting this way? Because I've done this. I've done this. Don't we all do it? We hear, hey, this is something that might help me. Everyone should now treat me this way, whether they know about it or not. So we don't even tell our spouse that this is my love language. And we and if we do, we say, hey, this is my love language. Then we plug our ears and go, la, 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 la. When they reply back, well, this is my love language. Let's negotiate how we're going to love each other. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, man. And then everybody's upset and frustrated because I'm not getting what I want. Well, maybe my job is to listen to the verse that goes to the husband's which is go all out in love for your wives. Don't take advantage of them. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Now, if I'm really mature, I am going to say to my wife, hey, Jennifer, you have the right to hold me accountable to going all out in love for you and not taking advantage of you. I don't know if I'm that mature yet. I still like the la-la-la-la-la part with my ears closed. <laughs> But a step towards maturity, a step towards dying to myself, is being willing to hear that my responsibility as a husband is to go all out in love for my wife and then to ask God to help me and then allow him to help me do my best and do his best through me. Because on my own, like I said, I'm still want to plug my ears and la 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 la. What about you, Jen? Do you resonate with any of what I've just been talking about. Yeah, often we just look at the other person and think, well, they're not doing this for me, so I'm not doing it for them. They gotta go first. <laughs> and it's just not the case. The reality is the person who does something like that first is actually the more mature one. So, not that it's a competition. It's not like that. It's just humbling yourself to say, in spite of what they're doing right this moment, I know they're a holy and dearly loved child of Christ. I know we're both trying to follow Christ here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the right thing, no matter what's going on around me. And it's not by might and not by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. Because on my own, not what I want to do. Right now, we want to give a shout out to Jimmy Evans and XO Marriage. Check them out if you get a chance. They are, Jimmy Evans helped us a lot as we listened to his teachings about marriage. They're all biblically based and they're challenging. And they're real life. They're, they're gritty and they're real and they're, um, you know, lots of, just very relatable for us. He tells his own stories. He's not afraid to tell them, and they're not washed and cleaned and, you know, detailed so that they're going to look pretty. It's real-life stuff. Mm -hmm. But that's where we have come to the idea of whoever is the most mature in the marriage is the one who's going to step up and do the right thing first. 
So for all of you competitive people, all of you athletes and people who want to compete, here's the best thing to compete in. Be the most mature person in your relationship. Be the one who steps up and does the right thing first. Uh, I don't like it. I don't like that challenge. I don't want to take that challenge. But I know that if I'm willing to take that challenge, our marriage is going to be so much better. Yes, absolutely. I also like this one. <laughs> so he goes wives, then husbands, and then he has some information for the children. And what do we as parents do? We jump right in. Oh yeah, I get to hold my, my children accountable to this. Um, you're not the one who let them know that this is what's expected of them. Maybe it's time to start communicating with your children so that, in fact, that's the best part. Then comes, then he says, hey parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. So if you're a child, listen to the verse for children. If you're a parent, listen to the verse for parents. Can I add something? Yeah, absolutely. This is not communicating with your kids. Oh, she's holding her phone and flipping through social media. That's not communicating with your kids? No. Uh-oh. Mm -mm. And why can we tell you that, folks? Because guess what we've done? Yeah, I mean, there, there have definitely been times I've been with... Our kids? Yeah. Our grandkid? Uh-huh. And we love that baby. Yeah. And we, we love our kids. And guess what we're doing? Sitting there on our phones, mm -hmm. addicted to the social media, right. when we could be spending time mm -hmm. loving their, loving our children, loving our grandchildren. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, we also have great times with them where we are talking with them, having good conversations. On the floor with the grandbaby playing. Oh, that's right. That's right. So there is also a balance. Jesus often after spending time with people, would get away by himself in the wilderness so that he could recharge and regenerate by spending time with God and reconnecting with God. But I don't think that social media is going to reconnect me with God in the ways that it will happen. It might challenge me to. We're here to challenge ourselves by reading the Bible and talking about it. We're here to challenge you to spend some time with God. But... There's also going to have to be, I'm going to get alone by myself. I've been challenged now, so I'm going to take the time to get alone with God and regenerate so that I can go out there and actually love my kids, love my, my grandkids, love my neighbors. Ooh, that's a tough one. All right. Well, that was Colossians 3. Thank you all so much for being here. Follow and subscribe on Twitch to chat with us. Like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you for joining us on this adventure. Much love. Tell the adventures, explore.